Thank you everyone for being here. Uh, Jose, he, him, his, uh, organizing manager at the Ella Baker Center. You know, we have our member meetings every month. Uh, usually it's the first Wednesday of the month. Um, this, you know, time period is a little different, right? Because uh, the first Wednesday of November is actually gonna be the day right after election. Um, and there's a lot at stake. And so we wanted to put this together um, to, you know, um, create space for us as a community, as Ella Baker Center members, as allies, as folks, you know, um, to touch base in terms of the what's what's at stake. And Ella Baker Center has taken positions on certain um, state ballot measures that we're going to go into more detail today. Uh, and so we want to get that that message out there. Uh, but we also know that there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of anxiety uh, leading up to um, all kinds of scenarios that can happen after November uh, 3rd. Uh, and so, you know, we are going to touch on that as well and, and see, and we want to um, get it out in terms of like what, where we stand as an organization uh, and what we're planning to do leading up to it and how you can get involved. This is Ella's Voice, the official podcast of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. Named after the civil rights hero Ella Baker, we organize with Black, Brown, and low-income people to build power and prosperity in our communities. Um, so now, how are we going to move it over uh, to let Zach introduce himself and, and tell us about preparing for a coup? Oh, something. You know, this is a word that I started learning about, so educate me on this. <laughs> All right, Nifa. I, I'm I'm gonna do my best. It's um, <laughs> it's not easy to prepare for. That's the first thing I would say. Um, but here we are, and we're gonna we're gonna um, work through it together because that's what we do. Uh, we're hopeful but nervous, um, and it reminds me of uh, something that Alicia Garza was saying on Democracy Now! this morning, I was listening to, and Alicia said, you know, um, hope is not, um, hope is not the absence of despair. Hope is not the absence of despair. And that really uh, stayed with me because I think in this moment, there is a lot to to despair. There is a lot to be nervous about. Um, and she went on to describe that hope is really um, comes from when we're able to connect with purpose. Um, and so with so much going on and with so much nervousness, I think it's easy to forget where we are and just feel disconnected. And, um, you know, that's something that I felt as a parent, right? Because here I am trying to like help my kids do distance learning, but I'm also thinking about this election coming up and I'm like, well, it, you know, damn their math problems. Cause if this, you know, president stays in power and does a coup, like their future is not good. So I need to just focus on that. But, you know, they need me as a dad too. And so I think we are called upon to um, stay present with one another. 
And so those are the things that we are grounding in. We are grounding in our depth. We can feel our ancestors at our back. We are grounding in our width. We can feel the allies with us. And we are grounding in our length and our dignity, um, understanding that we are um, human beings who care about one another, right? And so those are some of the things that I want you all to remember and I hope will help connect you to your purpose, um, to what motivates you, because we are going to need that. We need to understand that we have a lot, a lot and a lot of power in this scenario. And that the folks who proclaim to be the most powerful are not. So I wanna talk a little bit about what we're up against in this moment. We are up against a president who has promised not to abide by the will of the people if the vote doesn't go in his favor. We are up against an ascendant um, right wing and white supremacist movement that um, backs him. And we are up against a media uh, apparatus that, you know, sometimes gets it wholly wrong and, and may prematurely say, yes, we agree that the results are X, Y, Z, rather than ensuring that every single vote is counted. And so there are things that we need to do in order to um, exercise our power. And, and, and those things are connected to recognizing our breadth and our depth. Um, and I'll talk more about that. But first, let's just understand some of the logistics. Um, there are three phases. The first phase we're in right now, and that's the voting phase and the turnout, the vote phase. And we absolutely need to do all we can to ensure that everybody gets out to the polls, right? Um, and that will continue through November 3rd. The second phase is sort of the state and local phase where, um, Votes will be certified by local jurisdictions and by the, the 50 states across the country um, and the District of Columbia. Um, so that's November 3rd through December 14th, effectively. And that's kind of the second phase. The third phase basically goes from December 14th to January 6th, which is when Congress certifies the results. And then inauguration, I think, is January 21st. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong or, or thereabouts. And there are critical um, kind of junctures and levers of power that we can be exercising collectively. Um, one is, you know, let's not forget the power that we have even here in this state in California. We have the fifth or sixth or seventh, a very large economy, right? And um, if democracy isn't working, I don't believe that we should be working either. So people can be in the streets or they can be at home if they feel more comfortable, but let's not allow business as usual to continue. So one thing that we can do is be in the streets. There's a, um, a rally called for on November 4th, the day after the elections in Franco Gawa Plaza, um, Oscar Grant Plaza. I don't have more 
information right now, but we will provide that. And if other folks do, they can put it in the chat. Um, and there will be other actions where we'll be calling on you all as members of the Ella Baker Center to represent and to join contingents when we are out and letting folks know that um, if there are any shenanigans, there there will be you know no business as usual. So that's one, be in the streets. The other thing is, um, there may be opportunities to continue to be on the phones. I know folks have been calling and participating and, and turning folks out to vote. There may be opportunities also to call, call local um, uh, electors to make sure that they're abiding by the, the will of the people in different swing states and, and critical jurisdictions across the country. The third thing I would say is let's not forget to understand um, our depth um, and our breadth. So our depth is we know that, you know, even if there is a transition in power, that the that Joe Biden has not been our friend on these issues and that we have a lot of work to, to do, even if there is a transition of power in this country. We know that the crises that resulted in Donald Trump's election, but also the way in which he has tried to lead the country is as a result of 400 plus years of misleadership and systems that have not served our communities. Um, that the fact that we are at a place um, where we are in terms of climate change, the number of people in prison, are as a result of the fact that we have treated people and the planet as disposable, and we need to shift um, those systems um, and transform them to, to actually respect the, respect the human rights of every individual. And so we have that depth of analysis, but I think it's also important that we understand the breadth of folks who are part of a pro-democracy um, front effectively. There are a lot of people who we don't necessarily uh, see eye to eye with on a regular basis, who I think will be supportive of seeing um, the will of the people respected in terms of um, these national elections. So I have been in conversation with folks in different business corporations, with the mayor of Oakland, with other mayors, really talking about how do we ensure that everybody is seen and heard and understood that we support um, a transition. Um, we support uh, uh, respecting the will of voters we demand that every vote be counted. Um, and, and so those are things that I, I want us to really, um, as we think about who's with us, really understand that there, are, there is a broad coalition of folks who are, who are down to support this work. The thing I wanna leave you with is just a story. Um, and that is a story from Argentina. Um, I went to Argentina as a law school student at the time at which there was massive civil unrest. The, the, um, the local currency in Argentina had been decoupled from the U.S. dollar and the economy was in free fall. And Argentine folks were like, we're not having it. They came out in the street in mass they were united. There were folks who had been unemployed workers for years and decades, as well as, you know, literally 
older ladies with fur coats, like banging on the banks and and like breaking the, the windows of banks. I'm not necessarily for property destruction, but there were like everybody coming out, really showing that there was this massive movement who was not okay with the leadership that was basically tanking the economy and um, allowing the, the government really to be sort of uh, a feudal part of the United States. And they were saying, we demand something different. And not only did they see a transition of power, y'all, they had like five different presidents over a six month period. So it would be like, how about this guy? And they'd be like, hell no. Everybody come out on the show. How about this? But no. And they were just shutting it down and letting folks know that we will not tolerate that. So I need y'all to know that we um, have the power as people that we have a critical role to play here in the Bay Area, and we can do this. And um, I need to y'all to understand. And the last thing I'll say is that y'all hold the key because the work that you have been doing to challenge criminalization in this country and in this state is really the key to actual democracy. Because when you can label someone as incapable of redemption or rehabilitation or write them off, then it becomes that much easier to write off their ability to vote, to participate in the democratic process, period. We know that the president's lie that he keeps us safe is just that is a lie, that we keep us safe, that when we come together, we create real safety and the real possibility of democracy. That is the logic that you all have been holding with your work. That is the logic that um, has allowed us to free people from cages. And that is the logic that will allow us to free the potential and the power of our democracy. So let's get out there. Let's be out there. It's not always about being in the streets. It's also about being on the phones. It's about being at home. It's about not showing up for work as much as um, showing up in the streets. There's a lot of ways that we can participate in defending democracy. Thank you so much, Zach. Thank you. Thank you so much. And now we're going to be moving our agenda forward. <sighs> we want to get into these uh, talking about the, oh my gosh, the numbers, Prop 15, 16, 17, 20 to get to get some information out uh, from folks that we're working with. Jose, you think you can help us out with Prop 16? Yeah, sure. I can speak <laughs> to Prop 16. Um, so Prop 16 is one of the measures that um, the Ella Baker Center um, uh, is officially endorsing um, as a um, yes on, on um, Prop 16. And it's one of those bills that isn't necessarily directly related to, you know, the work that we do around decarceration, around, um, you know, divest, reinvest, truth and reinvestment. It, not necessarily, but it is, you know, and similarly, it's the same way with Prop 15. What is it's like at first glance, you might look at it and say, well, y'all do like decarceration. What does this have to do with? It has everything to do with it. And um, one of the many things that we fight, you know, is also racial equity. And so what Prop um, 16 is going to do, it's going to repeal a very harmful, really, really harmful proposition, which was called Proposition 209, which was passed in 1996. And what that did is essentially it... Um, 
eliminated dis- discrimination in state contracts, hiring, and education. Um, and so a no vote would basically uphold Proposition 209, which prohibited the state from considering race, gender, nationality, and ethnic diversity as factors, but not decisive factors in college admissions, government hiring, and government contracts. Um, and so, you know, we work with a lot of folks that are systems impacted, um, who are, you know, struggling day to day. And, you know, we speak a lot about truth and reinvestment, meaning moving money away from the carceral state, from policing, prisons, surveillance, all of that, all of those things that are harmful and investing them in the community. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to empower our folks with good paying jobs, with, you know, a, a living wage, a roof over their head. And it's hard to do that when they can't even get in the door. Right. And so what we have right now is uh, women and people of color are paid less, given fewer chances to access higher education and are denied job opportunities. Affirmative action works to level the playing field by allowing policymakers to consider race and gender without quotas when making decisions about contracts, hiring and education. Uh, and I think California is, you know, it likes to portray itself as a quote unquote progressive state. Um but it is, I think, one of nine states that actually has um, these kinds of um, um, laws in place that 209 essentially created. Uh, so in states that allow affirmative action, women and people of color compete on equal footing for government contracts. Uh, but again, uh, California is just one of nine that bans affirmative action. So for these reasons, um, you know, we really, um, you know, want to level the playing field, right, for our folks and really empower and support them. Uh, And we believe that Prop 16 is a measure that we can support. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jose. We can move forward um, to the next prop, Prop 17, uh, voting rights registration. Hey, y'all. Um, so Rasan has not been able to call in yet, y'all, but I do have an MP3 that we can play of a recording we did. So this is our dear friend, Rasan Thomas, who is an inside organizer with Initiate Justice. Uh, we recorded this um, about a week ago. He's not going to say his name, unfortunately, because we kind of dropped right into the conversation. Um, but he's going to say, who am I? And that he's going to tell you who he is without his name. So here we go. Who am I? I'm a writer. More than anything, I'm a writer. Uh, I'm a person that's driven. I'm driven to like try to see the world, see how we can fix this world. I definitely regret the mistakes I've made in life, and so I'm driven by that remorse to make sure that everything I do is focused on trying to make some kind of difference in some kind of way. And that's how I got connected to the Ella Baker Center. Uh, there are people who at the Ella Baker Center who like take the time to listen to incarcerated people and advocate on, on, on behalf of us and along with us uh, for the things that we need, the things that we want. And they also teach us how to advocate for ourselves. And uh, it's just a match made in heaven, you know? Prop 17 originated because people came into this prison from the Initiate Justice at the Ellis Baker Center in order to teach a pump class, which is the Prison University Project now changed the Mount Appalachia College 
college. Uh, they were here teaching an extracurricular class about how something gets made into law, right? How do you change laws? How do you do things like that? And when we, when it, I, I think they call it a policy workshop, exactly. And when they were in there teaching us, like, how to get law changed, you know, a lot of us, like, we want all the laws to change. We need to rewrite the penal code. We want, like, we want, to, we want the law to change so we all get out tomorrow, right? Or everybody that makes sense that that's ready to be rehabilitated, that's ready for society, um, gets out tomorrow, and everybody who's not gets the opportunity to get ready for society so they can be ready to get out the next day, right? And we were taught that you have to change laws in increments. Uh, it's very hard to get a big change. It's very hard to get any law change, but a big change is probably not going to happen. And so you have to think about what law can I change in order to get closer to the, to, to, the, to the change I really want or the change that we really need. And so as we started talking about that, voting came up. Voting came up, and I was like, man, that's a great idea, voting. And um, Tina Vargas wasn't there that day from Initiate Justice, but she was, like, in contact with a lot of us, and she was asking people, like, what would you want to see change? And I was telling, like, well, uh, as a collective, we kind of went to, like, 50 and 20. We want to you were 50 years old, and you have served 15 to 20 years, and you should get a chance at parole. But me personally, I know that's going to be hard to accomplish, and so I personally think we should go for voting. Like, I think, like, nobody should, no American should be denied, denied, denied the right to vote, because we know historically denying us the right to vote was like just keeping us depowered. And when I played the tape back on my life, I was fighting the wrong way against a lot of, like, policies. I didn't know where they were policies. I was, I was mad at the people, right, that were in my way that were, like, trying to do the things they were trying to do, right? But it was really stuff like redlining, and stuff like uh, not enough jobs, and stuff like negative policing, right, that I was really fine against. And so, um, I never got a chance to vote. I had a felony before I I never had a chance to vote, right? And so I've never voted in my life. And so I made that suggestion to Diana, and she loved it. She did the research on it. She felt like it was something we might be able to make happen. And in this case, Justice took off and run it, and they made it happen. Now it's Prop 17. It's on a November uh, 2020 ballot. So November 3rd, if the voters of California decide to, and I heard that the polls are in our favor, uh, and car uh, formerly incarcerated people will have their voting rights restored. And, you know, we doing an incremental thing. And so next up, we're going to try for people that are still in prison. And yeah, it's, it's, it's for me, it's like a dream come true because I made this suggestion. And you know, guys in prison, we want, we, we, you know, we want to change the world. But the, but the truth is, we can't do it without help on the outside because our hands are cuffed. And Taina, um, Barkis Edmonds, she made it happen. Initiate Justice, they made it happen. And so I'm very proud to like be part of that process. And uh, whatever small part I played in it, um, but I'm really just proud that it's, it's, it's actually uh, has a chance to happen. And when it, if it actually gets voted, I'm going to be so freaking happy. Thanks, y'all. That's the end of the recording that we have for Rasan. We have two more amazing speakers yeah. on Prop 17. We are so blessed tonight to have like this amount of brilliance in one room. Um, I know we've been trying to get John <clears throat> on the, the Zoom. I'm sorry, Zakia, I know that you're also here to, to speak on Prop 17. Do you, would it be okay if, if you spoke a bit right now while we're figuring out these technical difficulties? For sure. Um, and, um, you know, when John joins us, then he can kind of uh, give his um, personal um, take on it um, since he's uh, impacted by by this change. Uh, my name is Ikea Prince, and um, I, I've been working on the campaign. I'm an outside organizer with Initiate Justice. Um, and so 
you know, we're trying to make history. We're trying to right the wrong um, of a felony disenfranchisement, voter suppression, um, you know, and, and this would be a key in, in telling black folks and brown folks that yes, your lives matter, your voices matter. Uh, but as uh, Rasan so eloquently um, kind of shared with you all the history about how the idea came about, um, you know, it's just like y'all said, it, it's amazing to me um, how um, an idea um, of somebody who's incarcerated, someone, you know, oftentimes we, as a, a society, you know, overlook people who are incarcerated and so to to see an idea that came out of prison um and to um be being brought to fruition um is really awesome and um you know, just to kind of talk a little bit about what happened after um, Rasan came up with the idea um, back in 2018, um, Taina and the Initiate Justice team um, created uh, the Voting Restoration and Democracy Act of 2018. Um, and at that time, they were trying to gather enough signatures to qualify for uh, the ballot and gathering signatures is a beast. And so unfortunately, uh, they did not get enough signatures. Um, but in doing that, they started to do uh, more research and conducted a survey, um, which created a report called Democracy Needs Everyone report. And in that report, which was um, published at the beginning of 2019, um, they found that people who are incarcerated um, and on parole want to be able to vote. Um, they want to contribute to their communities in a variety of ways. Um, you know, so many people who are on parole um, pay taxes, they work, they take care of their families. Um, a lot of them are mentors and, and pillars in the community. And so they contribute so much to, to our community and they wanna be able to use their voice uh, at the polls to be able to decide what happens with their tax dollars. You know, what, what happens in, in their community at, at the school or, you know, what happens at the community park and, and where money is allocated. And so, um, you know, this is a desire that they have. And it's so important that um, I know a few of you guys were kind of touching on the history of disenfranchisement in this country. Um, and the government has been trying to suppress uh, the vote and to disenfranchise people since um, Black people and women started fighting for their rights to vote. And um, we've seen it play out in so many different ways. Um, and, you know, after slavery, we saw how slavery morphed into mass incarceration. And it was a way to continue to keep um, Black people stifled. Um, if, you know, we can get you on vagrancy laws and incarcerate you when you get out, then you're not going to be able to, to vote um, and be a part of the democracy. And so, um, as we know, like things have been happening to suppress um, the Black voice specifically um, through felony disenfranchisement. And so, um, we are at the point where we are able to make history. And so making history would be voting yes on Prop 17, and it would allow 50,000 people um, 
who have returned home and have done their time and are contributing to our communities to have the, their rights to vote restored. Um, it will also, you know, combat that voter suppression that I mentioned and so many of you all have mentioned among black and brown communities um, who are still to this day over policed and subject to systemic inequalities and, and oppression. Um, it also would make our community safer um, because people who vote and engage in their civic duties um, are less likely to recidivize and be rearrested. Um, it also would give California um, Californians who have completed their sentence um, a say in, in what happens to um, in policies and be able to elect representatives who are supposed to be representing them as well. Um, and it would make our democracy fairer and, and more inclusive and in line with being the, the progressive state that we, we try to say we are here in California. Thank you so much, Zakia. Um, John was just about to tell me an amazing story, but I want him to tell it to all of y'all. So I'm going to let John Wintem speak for himself as another amazing outside organizer with Initiate Justice here. Hello, everyone. Uh, pleasure to uh, speak with you all and an honor to uh, be in your presence and to have y'all come uh, because I am a direct, uh, directly affected by Proposition 17, and I have the right to vote. Uh, I spent 30 years in prison, uh, and I was with Rosan Thomas when this was just an idea of his about having men inside vote. Uh, and taking a poll inside a prison, I found out who if men inside even cared about voting. And it was uh, amazing uh, the numbers. We're talking um, 87% say they would, you know, involve themselves in voting once they're out. And, you know, for me, I didn't care about voting when I was home. Um, I went to prison at 19 years of age, so I never voted, never cared about voting, never heard about voting. And it was something that never existed in my community at all. But moving forward, once inside prison, I started watching TV and watching the elections, and that became my Super Bowl because I don't watch sports. Every four years, I was in front of that team, right? And every two years, I was also checking up on what was happening locally. Uh, and it just broke my heart to you know, find out that, you know, I can't vote. I thought we were talking about us voting inside the prison. No, we were talking about us being able to vote once we were home. Uh, and so that's why I do what I do. Um, for us men and women um, that broke the law, um, that was maybe a few seconds, if not minutes, out of our life. And yet it is affecting our whole life. And a lot of us was kids when we did the things that we did. We did our time. We, we, you know, we became um, productive members of society. And if the board didn't feel we were going to do that, we wouldn't have been paroled. Our time is done once we walk out the prison gates. 
and it seems as though we're still being punished. We are being punished still for what we did as kids. And again, what we did isn't who we are. It is a reflection of what we've done. Um, and so um, I'm out and hoping that we can get everyone uh, to vote yes on Prop 17. As Ikea was saying, I'm a taxpayer, a mentor, uh, an advocate, a leader in my community abroad, a volunteer, hold down two or three jobs. That means I'm getting money taken out of my check two or three times a month, but yet I have no right to vote. I have no say what happens on my street or in my community or what happens in my grandson's school. say if we need to speak well, you know where kids is right i have no say in anything something as small as that but it's very impactful to the community and may save a life but yet i have no no vote and no say in that. Um, so i'm here to ask that we all gather make history and vote yes on prop 17. Um, not only it's not only for 53,000 other men and women in prison. It's also for our community. Like I said, I didn't care about voting, right? But having the right to vote have me civically engaged in my community. It makes me care about what's happening in my community. I have a vested interest because I feel I have a voice and I have a say. And so when that 50,000 get their voice back, we take that back to the community and teach the community what we learned about um, the voting system and the democratic process um, while we were inside. But at least give us that um, that nugget, that diamond, that tool, right? That that right to vote, to be able to share it with our community, share in that with our community. I don't want to just get people to vote. I want to take them to the polls to vote, but I want to be allowed to vote. And I can sure I can speak for all 53,000 men and women that are strongly incarcerated. Thank you for your time and for hearing me. I want to say something real quick. It, when when John, when you spoke of, you know, you you coming home, you 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 taking care of your responsibility and you want to you don't want to feel punished. It makes me think like, you know, the system that we're living in is like, it's literally not, they say rehabilitation, but no one has been re rehabilitated and they're not healing anyone. And it's like that system is still being repeat, repeated. It's like people, they come home, they, they, they finish their time, they're done, but they're still being punished. And we want to move away from punishing people. And I think that's like a huge something to really point out is like, literally there is no healing happening. All right, y'all. Um, we do have somebody um, on the call. Uh, <laughs> There's going to be starting us off today. Uh, Prop 17, I mean, sorry, Prop 15, Schools and Communities First. We got LJ on the line. LJ, you still you still on the line? <laughs> um, but thank y'all so much. Um, so, yeah, Prop 15 is also a really crucial um, um, proposition that actually feeds um, a little off of Prop 17, actually. Um, the background is that it'll um, close commercial property tax loopholes um, because what's been happening for over 40 years is that 
since Prop 13 had passed in 1978, um, big corporations have been profiting from a, ta- a property tax freeze. Um, so their property taxes um, are um, they're paying the same um, value on their property taxes as they were in 1978. So they're not actually paying uh, market value, which um, is a huge problem for our schools and communities because um, our schools and communities actually depend on um, the property taxes um, to to be funded. Um, And so that's over $12 billion every year that we've lost for over 40 years. Um, so we're actually going to reclaim that with Prop 15 um, and bring that back in directly into our schools and communities. Um, 60% is going to go to um, our communities, like first responders, more programs, uh, employment, and then also more funding towards health care. And then 40% is going to go directly to um, our public schools. Um because actually, like when we don't have enough funding in our schools um, for to actually retain students um, from um, dropping out, from being suspended, um, we're able to have um, more teachers that actually care for their students. Um, because, I mean, I don't know how many of us actually had teachers that really cared um, because when we do have they actually quit because they don't get paid enough. And so when we don't have those teachers who care for our students, especially for black and brown students, um, our students tend to be disengaged. Um, The school to prison pipeline actually like increases um, and there's over policing in our schools. And it's all due to not having the necessary resources we need inside our schools and outside our schools and within our communities to be able to thrive, engage, and be able to connect with what we're learning. Um, and so it's really, really important that we pass, get Prop 15 passed and vote yes, um, because we need that money um, directly back into our schools. And it doesn't make sense that California is the fifth largest, uh, has is the fifth, um, fifth largest economy in the world, but we can't even fund our schools and communities, we're actually in a, the bottom five um, of all the states um, on spending per school. Um, so we definitely need to get that money back into our state, directly into our communities, um, because what happens is like Chevron, Disneyland, Wells Fargo, they all profit off of us directly. Um, however, um, that money isn't coming back into our communities. So um we definitely need to make that happen by voting yes. Um, and we also have a, um, volunteer phone banks that we are um, definitely looking for folks to participate in, to call voters around it. Um, so, yeah, thank you all so much for allowing me to talk about Proposting because it is very crucial. Um, and we also have a huge, huge opposition out there who put $92 million against us within our campaign, within their campaign, um, putting a lot of misconceptions out there, saying that we're lying about the, the, the proposition, um, but they're actually just afraid that their property tax is going to go up. Um, so we definitely need to get the right information out there um, and educate um, the community. So thank you so much. Thank you. 
And I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I mean, I'm happy that you bring up the oppositions because they had me tripping for a little bit, you know, because they put some stuff yeah. in my party, um, papers and they <laughs> trying to get up, trying mm-hmm. to get the black and brown folks to not agree. And I was like, wait, hold on. I need to exactly. What's going on with Prop 15? Like, what is hurt low? Um, I mean, like small businesses, you know. So, yeah, thank you so much. Um, so I want to open this space up uh, for Prop 20 if folks are um, here to speak on that one, uh, criminal reform rollback. We got folks ready for Prop, Prop 20? So that is going to be another um, beautiful recording from Ruslan Thomas. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to cue that up for y'all and then um, we'll take it away. So let me just give a second to share my sound. Here we go. All right, and I'm gonna start the MP3. Thank you so much. As far as Prop 20, Prop 20 is a rollback if that gets voted in. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. It wants to overturn 57 and 47, and I know there's a lot of complaints about 47, reducing um, some crimes and misdemeanors, and a lot of cars are being hit in the city, which means somebody breaks into your window and steals whatever they can out the car. And I know it's a crime that's horrible. It be really annoying when you're trying to get to work on a rainy day or whatever. But the thing about Prop 57 in particular and 47 in particular, that's not all they do. They do a lot of really good things. They, they help right some of the wrongs in the internal justice system. But Prop 57 gives guys a chance to go to parole board and make their case that they're safe to be re- re- released back into society. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. And Prop 20 would, like, undo that and send guys back to the point where these three strikes would be stuck. You know, and Prop 30, 36 helps the three strikers somewhat, but it only helps a fraction, a small fraction. It hasn't. It, it, it really just helped the most egregious cases where your third strike was, like, for a pizza or five-dollar rock. It helped those guys. But Prop 47 is like, okay, um, my crime is more serious than a pizza or a rock, and this multiple life sentence is a little bit too much. Uh, well, not a little bit, a lot too much. And so I'm hoping people both know the Prop 20. Uh, and also, I just feel like, in general, man, I just want to say that all my life, not all my life, during my younger life, I bought into the narrative that you fight fire with fire, you know? You deal with violence with violence. But when you do that, you're both dragons. And so we have a system now that, like, punishes people with handcuffs and bars and, and brutality and uses guns. And even when it's civilized and nobody gets gunned down in the street, you get gunned down and lynched in court. And it's just not, it's a system that, 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 that solves a problem with violence. And I think that we have a lot of problems in this world that can be solved without violence. And we just have to imagine how to do that. And I know how to do that. And I see how to do that. Because I'm in a prison. And so I know. And, and how they did that was by therapy. By breaking down the walls of us and them. By giving us more opportunities and obstacles. By letting us merge with the community. And make these social connections. And, and throw in at us against them mentality. Um, by just giving us uh, the freedom to, like, grow. And like I said, the therapy, the self-help groups. And it just became like a place that, so I see how that works. And we're supposed to be really dangerous people with 1,400 people with life sentences, right? I have a friend, he has, I think, 60 to life for the serious crime of burglary. But he goes to the parole board in a few months. But it's, it's a few months after the election. 
and if Prop if Prop twenty passes, he won't be going to the board. He'll be stuck with the sixty to life sentence. Oh, uh, you know, yeah, and there's a lot of guys like him that are getting his chance to, to, to make their case. And it's not a get out of jail free card, Prop fifty seven. They have to go to before parole board and be found suitable for parole, be found not to be a danger to society. But without Prop twenty passes, they won't get that chance. They won't get that chance. And they're good dudes. I'm sure many of them are going to make that parole board when they get that chance. And they don't need to be here. And with a pandemic, a uh, COVID pandemic, and people don't know how they're going to pay their back rent when, when the, the little uh, safety nets are over with. If Prop 20 passes, people are going to lose their chance to see a parole board and make a case that they're suitable for parole. And so people are going to be left in prison at a good dudes who I think would make great citizens, great neighbors. And at a time during a worldwide pandemic, I think the 80000 a year spent to keep a homeless person in prison, mass incarceration, can be better. Oh, shoot. It cut out. I'm sorry. The last thing that Rasan says in that clip is, could be better spent on COVID relief. And then it ended there. I just want to thank Rasan uh, through just like the energy forces around us for this beautiful testimony taken in a very you know, we recorded this about a week ago, and, and it's been a very hard time inside of San Quentin, especially in the last few weeks. So we had to edit out a lot of, like, things happening in the backgrounds and a lot of other, you know, he just, he, he's an amazing speaker and writer and, and was able to handle it all very, very calmly and coolly. But he's holding a lot. I just want to send a lot of love to Rasan tonight. Um, yeah, I love my friend. Mm, thank you. Some of the same sentiments for sure. Thank you, Rasan, for that. That was amazing. So I want to move forward uh, with the agenda and go to Prop 21 uh, about rent control. Uh, we have Jose to kind of share some information with us. Jose, you ready to share? Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, Prop 21 is, again, one of those other bills that, like I said earlier, it ain't necessarily something that um, we say is, is is similar to 17 or 20 um, that's directly um, related to um, the work that we're doing, but it is. <laughs> you know, I said that last time, I'll say it again, it is, because uh, we're not just fighting to bring people home. We're not just fighting to you know, um, tear down those cages. Um, we're fighting to uplift and support our folks. And the reality is that we are grappling with multiple crises. Um, and we've been grappling with them for a very, very long time, particularly if you're black, brown in, or indigenous. And one of these things is, is poverty. One of these things is um, not having a roof over your head, not having a, a place to sleep. And the way that the law is set up right now in California, is essentially um, we have something known as rent control, but that only applies uh, for units built before 1995. Um, and so what 21 would do, um, uh, well, let me tell you what, what would do a no vote would do. A no vote would continue to prohibit rent control on housing that, would f that was first occupied after February 1st, 1995 and single family homes. And so a yes vote, what it would do, it would allow local governments to enact rent control on housing over 15 years old. It would allow for vacancy decontrol to increase rent no more than 15% than previous tenants. And it would exempt landlords who own less than two homes from a new rent control uh, policies. Um, 
And so, you know, we want to keep folks in their homes. We want to keep folks, um, our young people, our seniors, our um, everyone. We want to keep folks in their homes, and particularly our Black, Brown, Indigenous, and people of color uh, in homes. And so, um, one of the things that Prop 21 doesn't do, which you know, it just it's just the way that that it works. is It's not the end all be all, um, but it is a good step. Is it doesn't force any county to enact rent control. It doesn't force them but it gives them the option to do it, you know? So that's a, something that it, it, you disclaimer out there, you know? And so, um, you know, again, it's not at the end all be all, but it is a step in the right direction because at least we have a shot, you know, uh, in cities and counties um, for them to enact these uh, rent control policies. And so Prop 21, we're encouraging a yes, we're uh, endorsing it. Prop 21 helps, helps keep our community stable by allowing local communities to enact and expand rent control policies that limit how much rental prices can increase each year. And again, this is this is part of our truth and reinvestment work that we're doing. Um, we wanna keep folks in their homes. So we uh, are supporting yes on 21. Okay, uh, we're gonna move to the next prop, uh, Prop 25. Emily, are you there to speak on Prop 25? Yeah, I'm here. Um, okay, so Prop 25, this is where it gets very complicated. Um, and I am going to try to do my best for a simple explanation, and I'm happy to answer questions. Um, so, so Prop 25, the Ella Baker Center has taken a neutral stand. I am just not going to vote on it. And part of, for me, I think is that um, there is going to be, you know, different strategies based on what happens. And I don't think that EBC is going to be at the center of leading those strategies. And so I will support whatever strategy is going to get us to the best pretrial reform. Um, and so to me, that's been partly what, what is influencing my vote. But in terms of what Prop 25 is, um, a few years ago, there was a campaign for bail reform um, that the Ella Baker Center was a co-sponsor on. So there was um, a, a legislative initiative. It was SB 10. And it was going to be like one of the most progressive um, reforms to the bail, cash bail system and pretrial in the country. And it, I think we as the folks leading that, we kind of got a couple things wrong, which is one, we we bid off more than we can chew. And I think the legislative process is the kind of thing where you can do like incremental things. You can't just like eliminate an entire system in one bill, which we, so we were, so I think we took off on too much. And then two, we framed the campaign as end cash bail, as opposed to end pretrial detention. So um, ending the detainment of people who haven't been convicted of a crime. But end cash bail sounds a lot sexier than end pretrial detention. Um, so that's kind of a thing. Um, so, and to me, this is like in my abolitionist politics, you always have to make it about the prison and the imprisonment of people's bodies, not about the people who profit off of their imprisonment. So that's what we got wrong. So SB 10 got co-opted towards the end, there's like all the big, like the governor and the unions and everybody gets in and we get sort of a watered down version that gets pushed through pretty last minute. So what it does, it does like some good stuff and some get bad stuff. So one of the good things it does is eliminates the bail industry. So one of the like worst um, parasites that has exist that is like 
a whole industry that is profiting off of people being held pre-trial, um, which is great. So eliminating the bail industry is huge, a huge win for us. What it does that is not so good is that it, it funnels a lot of money into probation to um, fund pretrial services, so into a different law enforcement body. Um, and then it also has a less robust system for risk assessment. So the initial SB10 had a much stronger um, ways to prevent very racist tools from have, being as racist as they are. So risk assessment tools um, can be very, like the way that they assess who should, who is a risk are, you know, something like if you are, um, if you had prior felonies and we know who's being criminalized. So if you have prior felonies, like then you're going to be more likely to stay in jail. So SB 10 passes, then the bail industry puts on the ballot initiative or on the ballot, an initiative to repeal it. That's what, S, that's what Prop 25 is. So the bail industry is pissed because we're trying to take them out. Um, and so they have, they have put it on this proposition. So a yes vote for um, Prop 25 would maintain SB 10. Um, so SB 10, other things to know about it, it was backed by every progressive Democratic legislator um, and voted on in, and by, so all of our like best, I don't know, the people who are gonna move progressive policy um, support SB 10 and they know that it needs to be, it has issues. Um, and, but I don't think they, they're not quite as like familiar with the problems as like we are, um, cause they're kind of, they're not as familiar with all the nuances of, of jails. Um, so it was, and it's being, um, the yes campaign is being pushed by some of the big, um, criminal justice groups, like, um, the anti-recidivism coalition, Californians for safety and justice on the no side the bail industry. So law enforcement is supporting the no side and funding the no side, but there's also a group of progressive or like radical, I would say radical um, folks out of LA um, in particular who have come and are, are asking for a no vote. Um, so they're kind of like two ends of the poles of the, the political spectrum. Um, and their concerns are the racist risk assessment tool that ex that it kind of expands the PIC or just kind of reformats the prison system by moving people from jail to probation. Um, and I think in particular from LA, they're really concerned about the amount of power that SB 10 gives judges to override the risk assessment tool. So the judges can determine who stays in jail um, regardless of the tool. And so it's likely that LA jails will have a lot more people in it. There's very complex research on, on Prop 25. We've seen some reports suggesting that the jail population will go down significantly. We've heard other things on the no side of it possibly going up significantly. So it's a lot that's going to play out in kind of like implementation of whatever moves forward. But for me, one of the catches, um, because it's a ballot initiative, sometimes when you when the voters pass something, then in order to go back to the legislature and change it, you need a two thirds vote. And so 
it's possible that if we repeal SB 10, so we take it away, that the ability to change anything related to bail and pretrial through the legislative process is going to require a two thirds vote majority. And so that to me ultimately means that bail reform is probably like not going to move at the legislative level for the next 10 years. And the no folks, the like radical group, they want to do a legislative strategy. And I don't quite understand how those two are going to work where I think with the yes, the legislators know it needs to be fixed, but we're also cementing in a like some some hard and problematic things like risk assessment tools and power with judges. So that's my overview. <laughs> so yes, because that was a lot. I'm like wrapping my head around. I know, that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was, yes. Oh, go ahead. Just want to add that. Um, you know, I get hit up around that too. I'm prop 25, and you know, like the whole thing is, you know, hey, we're neutral on it, and. I'm not mad at you if you vote yes or no. I just want to tell people, you know what I mean? Like, I'm mad at you, you know what I mean? Because, you know, we didn't create that. They, the system did that, you know, and, you know, they, it's a terrible situation to be in and use your best judgment. You know, all we can do is just give you the facts, you know what I mean? Give you the, the information. I think Emily did a great job, but, you know, ain't mad at you, you know, either yes or no, you know, but yeah, just want to add that on there. Cause I think sometimes folks may feel like, oh man, you know what I mean? Then I, you know, I did this or that. No, 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 we ain't, not. ain't mad at you. So keep it 100 <laughs> for real. Cause this is crazy. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jose, for that. And um, I thank y'all so much for joining us tonight. I'm Nifa. I was your facilitator. Hope I had this space cool for y'all. If you're not signed up with Ella Baker Center, please go ahead and email us. You know, you can email me, monifa at ellabakercenter.org, or you can sign up to our membership, get connected with the work. Don't leave me, please. Don't leave us. Stay connected. Okay? Don't be fake. Thank y'all so much. Thank you. Ella's Voice is a production of the Ella Baker Center in Oakland, California. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a review. To become a member of the Ella Baker Center and organize with us to win jobs, not jails, books, not bars, and healthcare, not handcuffs, go to ellabakercenter.org.